Hey friends, my name's Will. And my name's Hannah. And you're listening to the Spiritual Misfits Podcast. If you've ever found yourself on the fringes of Christian faith, this is a safe space for you. Your questions, doubts and hopes are all welcome here. We're creating conversations, affirmations, meditations and other resources to support you on your spiritual journey. And let you know that even if you feel like a misfit, you don't have to feel alone. Hello, good people. This episode is a truly fascinating story. Uh, And I wanted to give you a little bit of context before we jump in, just to set this up the way that it deserves to be set up. If you listen to our recent Advent episode, you got to hear some beautiful Christmas music from Petter Espival with some production from my friend John Rijkaard. What you may be surprised to hear is that despite putting out a Christmas album recently, Petter's musical background is primarily in the death metal scene. Some of you may have even heard of the band Extol. Formed in the 90s, they were a Norwegian Christian death metal band who actually managed the rare achievement of having a decent amount of crossover success beyond the Christian music industry. But there came a point when Petter couldn't even step into the studio or onto a stage anymore. Initially, it was for health reasons, which you'll hear about, but that led to major questions in Petter's once confident faith. In the early 2000s, John Reichardt walked into Kurong and found an X-Toll CD. He loved it. And his path ended up converging with Petters a little further down the track. Well, I think that's all you need to know. Uh, go support Petters Music. There's links in the show notes to his current project, which is called Frada. And enjoy this conversation. Uh, John Riker, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, hello. And then uh, Petter Espival. Am I saying your, your last name correctly? Yeah, very, very, very well. Thank you. <laughs> Much better than the Americans. Yeah, well, that's, that's not hard to do, is it? No. <laughs> um, very keen for this conversation. So the, the story here is that um, I was, you know, preparing for that episode and John was like, hey, I just worked on this Christmas, um, Christmas album. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I was listening to it a few times. I was like, this would be great to use in our kind of Advent experience. And then John filled me in that um, Petter has the most fascinating backstory. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily pick it just from listening to a, a you know, rendition of Oh Holy Night. Um, but you were previously <laughs> in a Christian death metal band in Norway, where you are from. So, and you, 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 you know, you've had all kinds of winding um, pathways leading you to, to where you are now. So we're going to get into that. But um, John is on the episode kind of as a, as he described himself recently, like a, a big fly on the wall. Um, but in many ways, uh, John is the, is the connecting point. So John, you are welcome to be a verbal fly. Thank you. I'll do my best. <laughs> is there any other from your perspective any other context i i missed there before we um we jump into Petter's story 
No, I think that's that's a great starting point. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Awesome. And um, I should say, listeners, like both both these guys are probably are probably pretty humble, but John Reichart is um, is a producer for some some pretty incredible um, bands in Australia, and uh, you know, obviously works with people around the world. And if you are part of the cult following of the band X Toll, and you happen to be a spiritual misfits listener, then you you might just be so stoked to find that you're in in this conversation. <laughs> but let's let's go. Um, well, let's just let's just get a bit of an introduction, um, Petter. At this point in your life, you you meet somebody for the first time, and you've got a couple sentences to say who you are and uh, kind of what you're about. I mean, give us give us an intro. Wow. Okay. Um, no, I, I. To be honest, I I don't really know what to say. I'm I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a dude from Norway, uh, a father, a husband, um, yeah, it's, uh, struggling with life. <laughs> That's uh, the best intro uh, of me these days, I think. Just trying to um, trying to make things, um, yeah, find find my way in life mm. uh, in the context of my family and my. My friends and, uh, and and creativity, I guess. I now realize exactly why I'm here. All right, I'll do some buzzing. So <laughs> I think, you know, so, so Norwegians typically are very understated and very humble. Um, so I feel like I need to be Petter's hype man, <laughs> right? A lot of the bands that I grew up listening to, and that included X-Toll, but a lot of the other bands that were younger than X-Toll that I, I grew up listening to, looked up to Extol, right? So the dudes that I looked up to looked up to Petter, right? So mm. we have quite an interesting hierarchy going on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, Petter's, an, like, he's an awesome, humble dude, so he would never, obviously, put it that way, but, like, his voice, his writing, his band uh, have honestly not just shaped, like, um, you know, the Christian music world uh the coolest thing about them well in my opinion is that they were one of those rare bands that had christians in them that were able to do the crossover thing and also influence the so-called secular world you know obviously i don't like talking these kind of dualities dichotomies but they exist to to a degree well this this is what you know yeah i'm interested in this because um I I will speak for any listener who is like, you know, death metal is not exactly my cup of tea. Uh, much respect to, to the death metal fans and uh, the death metal bands. <laughs> but, I mean, I am super interested in conversations around creativity, spirituality, um, those kind of different, you know, motives that can come in in terms of Christian art um, and how that's kind of like been, I guess, unpacked over the years. I just feel like there's so much here that I'm fascinated in, regardless of my musical preferences. Um, but to go even even further back before Extol, um, you were raised by uh, Pentecostal missionaries. If I've got if I got the facts right, um, yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit about what um, what kind of the faith that you grew up around and with? was like and some of those kind of early formative years 
um, yeah. in your life. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So very, I, I guess, very traditional Pentecostal sort of assemblies of God uh, uh, upbringing. Um, you know, I was born in 79. And so all through the 80s and, and early 90s, that was um, that was what <laughs> what was uh, going on, you know. Uh, my parents were missionaries. We went to Congo uh, in 80, 81, and then we went to Kenya uh, in 90 and 91. Um, and, you know, heavily um, involved in church, my parents were. Uh, but after the Kenya uh, tour, they, they divorced. And my father uh ended up just staying in kenya whilst my mother went back to norway with the three of us the kids uh, and i didn't really see my father from from then um up to many many years later he was not a part of my life anymore which was i didn't understand it at that time but uh, when i became older i understood that that was quite uh, detrimental and uh, destructive for me mm. um and I also had a mother who struggled a lot with the depression and, and uh, yeah, uh, a lot, like I, I saw my mother being sad uh, very much and I felt that I had to, even though I was the youngest, I felt that I had to sort of take care of her. So from the age of 10, like 11 and yeah, and upwards, um, I, I constantly had this uh, feeling of uh, of just, yeah, I need to take care of my mom somehow because she's sad, uh, which is obviously not too good for a, for a kid to have this kind of burden. Um, so I, I think that combination of a, a non-existing father and <laughs> like carrying the burden of, of a depressed mother uh, was not too good for me, to say the least yeah um, yeah that's heavy and putting god into the mix as well because i mean the upbringing i had i mean you're just supposed to love like you're supposed to give you're supposed to love you're supposed to take care you're supposed to of others not yourself really which is i guess the missionary it's like the missionary um uh, i'm sorry I, I don't speak english that well so sometimes i just need to find words um it's fine. Take your time. Like when you're a missionary, you just offer everything to God, right? Uh, yourself, your family, your kids, like, and so being a missionary plus being raised in this kind of theology, I think that just, yeah, of course, I, I, I don't need to take care of myself that much. I need to take care of the people around me. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's the kind of environment I grew up in. A lot of good stuff as well, like from, from that church and from that environment. Um, but that feeling of, of saving the world uh, weighed quite uh, heavily upon me um, and mm. taking care of you know the people around me. Uh, yeah. And um, when did you discover music? When And when did you discover like your music you know when did you first uh come across metal or you know and how did you kind of find your way into into bands what where did that begin for you yeah well i mean uh in church music is at least usually a big part of it and um so i mean i was forced to play the piano from when i was six and then um, into the choir in the church and stuff like that 
but I think the first time, or I know the first time I was like, really, wow, what's like, this is something crazy. This is something mind blowing is when um, my father and my mother had, uh, they had a, a youth party with the youth from church. Uh, and I was like eight something. And um, I woke up a, a Saturday morning and there was this Jerusalem cassette laying on the kitchen counter, uh, the Swedish rock band Jerusalem. And it was a live cassette from, uh, from, I don't, yeah, from the US with a picture of the vocalists, like sweaty and with the lights and everything in the background, like really awesome. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this, is, this looks cool. So I, I put it on, on the um, uh, cassette player and uh, I was completely alone in the kitchen, pressed play and I was like, would you please welcome to America, Jerusalem. And then they just went on. I was like, you know, mind blown, like changed forever. <laughs> and then my, my, my cousin, he, he, my cousins, they were starting to listening to a little bit harder music. And then in Kenya on the, like, uh, yeah, in the school there, people were starting to listen to, to Striper and Petra and stuff like that. And then that just, when we came back from, from Kenya, it was just getting heavier and heavier. And um, me, my brother, and my cousin, we we decided, okay, we we need to start a, a proper metal band. Yeah, it's it's the musical slippery slope, right? It just gets heavier and heavier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go all the way down. Um, so, sure. <laughs> um, I normally start my interviews with people by by asking, you know, have you ever felt like a spiritual misfit? And I didn't want to ask that as the first question this time because. I imagine that when you were in a Christian metal band, uh, Christian death metal band, um, you probably felt like a, in some ways a misfit in both spaces. And I'd be interested to hear how, you know, I guess tell us a bit of story about how X-Toll sort of formed and, and kind of began to cut through um, and ha- how you felt like you sat in terms of, you know, fitting either into Christian spaces or into the, the kind of heavy metal, death metal scene. Mm. Yeah, uh, as a Christian, I didn't feel like a misfit. Like with my faith and my beliefs and, and sort of uh, that came much later. But right. um, uh, with the band, I mean, playing death metal in a Pentecostal church in 1994, 95, 96, it's not okay. Mm. <laughs> so... I would say, I don't know, 80% of the people in our congregation just, um, yeah, they, they hated it. Uh, at least in the beginning, they, they, I mean, this couldn't be. But we actually, were, we were rehearsing in the church, like literally on the stage in the church when uh, no one was around. Right. Uh, and fortunately, we had like a couple of leaders who vouched for us and were like, these guys, they have their heart in the right place and... And uh, they want to do this for Christ because obviously if we did it just for the music, it wouldn't be okay. But since we also did it for Christ, <laughs> then, mm. you know, some leaders could vouch for us. Uh, and we were really serious about it. Like we wanted to change the world. We wanted to bring light into this really, really dark uh, community, uh, which was real. I mean, the destructiveness of the metal scene in Norway in the 90s, uh, wow, that was uh, some, some heavy shit. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, so a lot of the Christians really didn't like us. And then 
the black metal scene in Norway hated us, of course, because you couldn't be a Christian and play death metal or metal at all. So, yeah, we were uh, really in between there. So in that sense, yeah, you, you, we, we kind of felt a little bit like misfits, but not really because we we had so much faith in ourselves and in what we did, and we had some support on both sides. Uh, and then as we grew bigger and, and finally we, we, uh, we signed to a major label, like a major metal label, um, and yeah, more and more people would, okay, metal is metal. If, if it's awesome, it's awesome. You wouldn't care about the lyrics. And a little bit same on the other side with the Christians, like they understood that, okay, music is music, uh, you know, yeah. So, so in that sense, I, I, yeah, we could feel sometimes that we were in between, but uh, never, I, I never really felt like a misfit. Um, yeah. In that I think- sense. I think what John said at the beginning, you know, like to, um, there are so few uh, Christian bands and even that, you know, the language around that can be a bit um, loaded, but like there are so few bands that are um, trying to be Christian in their music that actually manage to make good music that people actually like <laughs> on like both sides of the fence, so to speak. Shots and, fired. Um, and I'm interested in what, you know, <laughs> shots but um even even what you said around like you know like it was okay because the motive was to bring light into the darkness there's plenty of people that have that motive and then they make really shitty music um and they're not they're, they're just bringing darkness into the light if anything um so h- how much of it for you actually was a passion for music like d- do you feel like there was a real love of music and craft and like how did you how did you see that that those kind of like different motivations around this is just a tool that we're using to reach people versus actually we would do this even if it wasn't about christ because we love music like were those thoughts kind of in your head or were they conflicting at all or uh it was 100 percent. we want to make awesome music we love metal we love the craft we want to get better at our instruments we want to get better at songwriting we want to create we want to be something unique we, we want to do something creative we want to change the world with music plus it was a hundred percent we want to change the world with the love of christ mm. it, it was both yeah yeah um so so but, but however the yeah so uh, both of them are, are are equally strong because extol with without uh, the creativity and the uniqueness and the the craft that we we, we did would have been like it couldn't happen, but also extol at that time without the clear um, message uh, also wouldn't happen. Uh, nowadays, so think- it's a little it's a little bit different because we're doing a new album this year, um, and yeah, a lot of ha- has happened since '94 uh, within uh, our hearts and minds, especially for some of us. Um, mm. So now it's actually a little bit more tricky. <laughs> Yeah, because back okay. then it was like, uh, okay, let's go, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus loves you, let's go. Uh, now it's a little bit more tricky to find uh, some lyrics that everybody can uh, can stand for. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I want to loop back to that, but yeah. I'm interested, like, who who was your music connecting with in terms of, like, was it um, kind of an equal split? of people that were like, I'm a Christian and this is metal music that I'm allowed to listen to. 
and people that were just like, I love metal music and I, I can tolerate the Christianity. Like what was the split in your like listener base? Um, was that just kind of a mix or was there a particular group that you think enabled that, that cut through? I think it was a really good mix after a while. In the beginning, we were centered in the Christian community, of course. Uh, but then, as I said, after a while, we <clears throat> we started releasing music on the major secular metal label. And, and uh, that obviously gave us a completely new, uh, uh, a lot of new fans who were just into metal and, uh, okay, didn't even know that we were Christians, uh, you know. Um, it's not always so easy to listen to the lyrics when you're screaming. So, <laughs> so people didn't even know sometimes. Yeah, sure. the but may, maybe John, uh, I mean, what, what were like, what's your um, take on this? Like, um, did you have like a friends that were not Christians that were into Extol, or was it a Christian thing, or what? Yeah, I mean, with. With me discovering Extol, I think the first time I heard of Extol was as a young evangelical Christian uh, going to this music bookstore called Kurong, right, in Australia, which uh, a lot of the listeners would know of. And um, a few of my Christian mates and I would go there, um, uh, a mutual friend of our, like mine and Petters, Kieran. <laughs> Kieran and I, sh- shout out to Kieran. Um, Kieran and I would um, uh, would go to uh, to Kurong a fair bit. Uh, you know, we were at that stage of our faith where we were pretty full on about it, and um, and uh, everything was about the faith. You know, so including music and whatever we read. Mm. And that was where I discovered um, Extol was in that CD store. Well, both of us discovered Extol there. And it was the Blueprint Dives, I think. I think they came out. Was that 2004, 2005, Petter? 2005, yeah. 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 So, anyway, we we discovered that. And, um, yeah, we loved it. Um, But at least in Australia... As far as we knew, Exile hadn't really reached um, the secular scene, um, and I don't know how big like the the death metal scene or like see there's so many subgenres in metal. Like it's probably the genre that has the most subgenres, <laughs> um, and it's probably yeah. <laughs> the most aside from perhaps you know jazz or. Um, or, you know, like really, really quirky forms of avant-garde music. It's probably one of the more pretentious genres out there <laughs> um, where, like, what, what everyone makes death gets... Metal, what, what's the distinctives of death metal? Educate me. <laughs> death metal, it's all about uh, uh, more like a growling voice, a grinding or growling voice. It's uh, supposed to be really catchy, uh, groovy, but also then you have, as John says, like <laughs> many variations. Uh, you know, you have technical death metal, you have melodic death metal, progressive, technic, melodical, harmonic. Death, like I mean, so, but but I mean, death metal in its uh, core is is just uh, double bass drums, uh, really heavy, uh, groovy, uh, growling. That to me, that's that's old school death metal. 
Um, but then, you know, it's obviously been refined and yeah, now we can get uh, every kind. <laughs> <laughs> to, to dovetail that, um, the thing that, that, that I think both Kieran and I liked about Extile was that it was, it was kind of like progressive death metal and especially the album that we heard was way more melodic, um, than, um, and pop oriented than a lot of their earlier material. And um, it reminded us of some of the other kind of big progressive death metal bands like Opeth and um, Opeth's a, a good example. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the other thing as well is it it is quite death metal does often kind of. Uh, is often defined by its lyrical content as well. So there's a lot of like, just like black metal, which is even more hectic in terms of Satanism and stuff like that. Um, there is a lot of like very dark imagery, um, whether it's like satanic or occultish or, or whatever, but even like gore and stuff like that in, in death metal as well. Um, but once again, you know, the thing about, Extile was that um, it was the opposite to that. You know, it was still you know intelligent, articulate lyrics. Like I said the other day to Peta, um, I was like, you know, it's really funny that a lot of the great bands from Scandinavia are way better at English than <laughs> plenty of other English-speaking countries across <laughs> the world. Um, you know, which is typical of Scandinavia. Not that I'm biased, but uh, uh, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I'm half Swedish, by the way. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's, it's yeah, as I said before, like, there's so many, like, variations within subgenres of death metal, but, yeah, that's kind of a glimpse of it, yeah. Mm. I, was, um, I was having, like, the parallel experience of going into Kurong, being that, that you know, kid just looking for like every christian thing i could get to like live out my very very passionate faith give me the t-shirt that can spark conversations and uh but i was flipping through for the like five or six uh hip-hop cds that were in kurong instead of the i presume <laughs> five or six um metal cds is that like you think about going into like a, a normal cd store you've got like massive sections you go into kurong and it's like you could have five or six from each genre and it's all in like this sort of two two meter squared um <laughs> how, how, how old are you will i'm 33 okay so so t-bone was a little bit before your time then I did get into T-Bone a bit, yeah, oh, uh, but okay. um, Cross Movement were the big ones that I was I was sort of getting into back in the day. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he he was probably similar in that he was, you know, um, he was the as edgy as you could get and be yeah, <laughs> Christian, yeah. Christian hip-hop. I mean, uh, like when you're into something extreme like death metal, uh, you would also somehow get like at least listen and, and check out these other extremes, uh, quote-unquote, uh, so, so I mean, we we uh, yeah we checked out like this. Uh, okay, T-bone, what what's this? And it was like quite extreme uh, yeah. hip hop uh, acts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned before, right? So you're you're working on a a, a new X-Style album now, and um, yep. 
but there's obviously been a lot a lot happen between you know the album with, that John's picking up uh, as a younger guy in Kurong um, and now and there's a lot of shifts in terms of I think um, sounds like shifts in terms of beliefs um, but also shifts in terms of, of health and life stages and your relationship with music uh, you mentioned to me before we hit record that you were surprised to even get back into music in, in recent times um, do you want to talk about maybe what what happened, you know, from, from like when uh, X-Toll was kind of in its prime to having to step out of that space, um, what were some of the things that led to that next chapter for you? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a long story, so I'll try to, to keep it a little bit short here. But uh, this album that John refers to, The Blueprint Dives, we released in 2005. Uh, after that, I think we had like, yeah, we were touring like constantly almost for a year after that. Uh, and suddenly during, at the end of that year, I, I started feeling something strange within me. I, I had no idea what it is, but I started to get scared, scared of flying and scared of just having this, um, yeah, this, uh, what do you call it? Uh, anxiety, panic yeah, attacks. Not, I didn't feel right in my stomach. Yeah, anxiety, but I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. Um, and and then um, I guess it was, yeah, like a year went by. And then suddenly I, I was uh, at the cinema with my uh, wife. And uh, suddenly uh, I got just extreme ringing in my ears. Uh, went to bed, woke up the, the next morning and it was still there, like really, really extreme. And then uh, I went full on into panic mode and uh, weeks, months and years with, uh, with darkness and depression and anxiety and uh, phobias. And uh, yeah, obviously quite quickly after that, I, I had to tell the guys in the band that uh, there's no way I'm going into the rehearsal room with loud music with this ringing in my ears. It's it's I, I'm done. I'm done. And they didn't understand it, and I didn't understand it. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what anything was. So I, I went like many many years before I even you know uh, started dealing with this, just trying to 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 manage life somehow. Um, yeah. So. At that point, I was like, okay, I'll never do music again. Uh, and I started just uh, hating music, to be honest. I thought everybody that did music was just fake. <laughs> um, uh, and obviously, like, at some points, just the, the, the volume of it was too much because I got really sensitive in my ears. And yeah, no, it was just a, a chaos, a chaos that lasted for, for, for years, basically. Uh, but the big thing here was obviously these things, but I lost my identity, mm. right? Because my identity, I started Extol when I was 14. And now I was, what, um, almost 30. Um, and uh, I had been the vocalist of Extol and the worship leader in, in, uh, in our church. Um, uh, and now I didn't do any of that. I, I, I didn't know who, who am I. 
and uh, I, I had to spend so many years to sort of, yeah, just find out uh, <laughs> who am I, what am I, what can I do, uh, what's my, yeah, what's the purpose now? Um, and again, a little bit back to what we talked about, this missionary uh, attitude that you just sacrifice mm. everything. Like, this was my calling, right? And I had sacrificed quite a lot for this band, like basically everything. I put everything into it, which was awesome. I was, I mean, I loved it. But when you then, it, it's so connected to, to God and that it, that it is a calling from God and you have sacrificed everything and you, you have put all, everything into this and then suddenly it's gone. And then you're like, oh, wow, that's, uh, well, you have no idea. You have no idea what to do, where you are, how, how like everything is just, it's like being like the, the rug under your, your feet just pulled away from you and, uh, uh, or, or not even like the ground beneath you is, is just opened up and you just keep falling, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So that's when I completely just stopped music. Um, and also during those years, I, I, I just stopped. Uh, believing as well because um, I, 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 I felt just alien I felt like an alien in my own church uh, at some point um, we also started that church for misfits quote unquote mm. uh, in 1998-99 I was a part of a group we started a, a church called Subchurch for you know metalheads punk punk rockers, hip hoppers, just, you know, people who didn't feel they, they fit into the regular churches. But even there, I, like at that time, I, 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 I felt walking into a service on a Sunday, leading worship or, or after I quit leading worship, just being there, it felt just so unnatural for me. And I've, mm -hmm. I've done this every single week since I was born. How can this suddenly feel alienating I, I didn't understand it but i i understood that i had to sort of act upon it somehow or else i would just be living a lie i, I would be living in in some sort of denial so i had to sort of okay i, I gotta find out <laughs> what is this uh, god thing and faith thing and church thing and stuff like that yeah mm. um, man it sounds like an incredibly dark period of your life and um, like I just get the just the slightest sense of it, just sitting and hearing the weight in your words, and and thinking about what it would be like to have like your whole world, you know, everything that since a child you've kind of had a sense of deep identity, and to feel like that's all been um, yeah pulled pulled like the ground beneath you, like the ground's opened up. That image you use is a, is a powerful one. Um, so you know it's hard to you don't just like overnight. Um, flick out of those spaces you know obviously that sense of kind of feeling like an alien in church you probably sort of had a period of time where you continued to have that that inner turmoil but what happened did you just did you just walk away from those spaces um, you know you said you had to figure this stuff out did that look like thinking about it a lot did it look like completely did, like distancing yourself from it like what what did you do Cut, sort of you know as you kind of came face to face with that sense of like, I don't know who I am anymore. How did you do any work of discovery or, 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 or rebuilding or healing? Like what, what did that 
look like? What has that looked like? Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I moved out of uh, with the family uh, from Oslo, which was where we had lived and, and the church was. As, uh, and I also worked in church at that time. So it was my, my job as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, we moved outside of Oslo and after like six to 12 months, I just gradually just, you know, pulled away. Um, it, it was quite hard because my closest friends ever in life are there, right? Mm. Uh, so again, also a big part of my identity being a part of that fellowship. But I, I just knew that I had to, I had to move away from it uh, to to just start figuring things out. Um, and for to be honest, for some years I I just let it pass. I I didn't go into it at all. I, I didn't feel that I was ready for it, or, or um, but I guess I did anyway somehow unconsciously, uh, partly consciously sometimes as well. But yeah, for for some time I just wanted to push it away and not even think about it. Uh, but then I started to, yeah, started to listening to some podcasts. Um, what what were the, yeah, I remember uh, being really inspired by uh, by this Science Mike uh, guy, Mike McCard. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. He, he had this uh, podcast called called Science Mike or Ask Science Mike or something. Ask I, I Science don't really Mike. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I felt that he had uh, such a broad sense of what it could be to be a Christian mm. um, and also obviously he had his science uh, perspectives to everything which I thought was very very meaningful uh, yeah so a, a lot of people around that community I guess and, and other communities like this where I, I started to, to just okay what is this Christianity thing? I know it's not as, um, it, it can't be what I was taught. Like it can't be only that. Um, yeah. So after some years with, with digging into this reading books, I, I read quite a lot of Richard Rohr. Um, the, he's, the monk. he's the, the savior of he everyone, is, yeah. everyone who keeps <laughs> their faith after almost losing it. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Father Richard <laughs> is the other savior. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm I've actually called him yeah exactly. I I've uh, when my friends ask me like yeah, so where are you and what are you into church and more I was like no I'm not but uh I have a pastor and it's called Richard Rohr. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But so I, funny that he's yeah. um you know he's a catholic but like his uh his work is probably mainly enjoyed by like recovering um, ex ex evangelicals. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. No, but I I really yeah I can't say like he's so so mean like most of the things he he's writing about is really meaningful to me. Mm. Uh, but I think at some point I I really landed on that I don't want to land anywhere. Mm. because uh, I know that life is changing me and my perspectives uh, all the time. Um, so, yeah, this search for this one truth, I, I'm not into that anymore. Um, mm. 
because I guess because I found that the one truth I thought was the one truth wasn't, and and so that doesn't really make sense to me anymore to 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 keep searching for this one truth. Um, so I'd much rather look at it as uh, yeah, it's just a very banal image, but like you know, people digging in in wells, like digging wells everywhere, and and like these guys, they find find the water and claim it's it's they found the water the true water and and these guys you know found the true water and these guys but it's just the same water like it's, it's the same water underneath it all um so that's a yeah that and, and like love yeah I can, I can agree to that love love is uh, love is some some truth <laughs> love the is water. the one truth yeah loves the water so so yeah. that far i can go but probably not so much further than that which which uh, is kind of um, yeah my some of my christian friends are like well then you're not a christian then I'm like yeah I'm okay maybe not i don't know i don't really care to be honest somehow sure. i guess yeah hello beautiful people i love making this podcast but the truth is i don't want to just make a podcast i want to build connections i want to help create community And I want to make things that help people to navigate the tricky spaces of life, faith, doubt, and being human. This year, we're working on a few new things to add to the Spiritual Misfits ecosystem. I look forward to sharing more soon. But first, a huge word of thanks to everyone who makes Spiritual Misfits possible. From the good folks at Meeting Ground Church, to other listeners who are given financially in the past or currently, to every single person who's actually come on the pod and had a chat. Nothing is behind a paywall thanks to the generosity of all those who make this possible. Join us in our online Facebook group if you haven't already. Share the pod with all your mates and fellow misfits. And if you do want to back what we're doing, a one-off or recurring donation, you can do that via our website, spiritualmisfits.com.au. Let's get back into it. I'm interested, you know, given that you had such a strong mindset, like you said, kind of that Pentecostal mindset, mm. um, a very a, a form of a very evangelical mindset. You know, we are here to bring light into darkness, and the world is is them, and we are the light bringers, and mm. we see ourselves really as um, outsiders. Like we're we're proud to be outsiders. But mm. we have been called to go into this. But that strong sense of mission shaped mm. your life for so many years. If you think about how you would describe your approach now to something like music or creativity, obviously that that love of craft was always there. But it sounds like it was always mixed with like uh, this deep sense of purpose. Mm. And part of what you lost along the way, maybe in losing identity, there was a loss of what was a very strong guiding purpose. Mm. How do you sit with that these days? Do you feel like um, you've got a different perspective on purpose and mission or you just don't even think about those sort of terms anymore and there's more just uh, just embracing what, whatever is before you? Do you know how do you think about that significant? Because that's a huge shift in terms of your mental models for how you make sense of the world and how you see yourself in it. Mm. Uh, I I still want to change the world, to be honest. Right. 
I still want to be a uh, a person in this world <clears throat> that makes this world better mm. for for the people around me or for anyone I get in contact with, whether it's talking or whether it's through music or, or whatever. So <clears throat> in that sense, it, it still becomes really important to me, <clears throat> sorry, to, to, um, I have something that I want to say still. Um, I have something that I want to, uh, something that I want people to react to, not necessarily believe the same that I do, but I want to, to, to put things out there that I think can create a conversation or that I think can make this world a better place somehow. Um, so my, my lyric content is still really really important uh, mm. but now I guess it's it's more not so much uh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins uh, but a lot of other stuff concerning uh, loving each other or uh, treating this uh, this uh, earth that we're living on in a better way or um, yeah just you know stuff that I, I care about so I'll, I'll write lyrics about that, uh, and it's really important. Mm. That's interesting. So, man. So, 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 so I guess somehow I'm I'm still in that uh, <laughs> that missionary, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, framework. But I I don't. Um, it, it's got a more uh, I guess a more mature uh, way mm. about it, uh, and a more. Uh, I, it's not like I have the truth now and uh, you better swallow this and take this or else it will be bad for you. Uh, it's more like, okay, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, uh, how can we solve this together? Or Yeah. I oh, know. I resonate with that a lot, man. I mean, even because uh, I was very much, uh, you know, I was a teenager on a mission to save the world and tell all my friends mm. that they needed to, you know, I needed to help them, you know, not walk off that cliff into eternal torment. And um, yeah. I was there. I was I was going to make that difference for as many people as I could. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe that in the slightest nowadays, but the very reason I would even make a podcast like this is because I still, I still care. I still care about engaging people in a conversation around like, you know, yeah, what does it look like to, to, to love the world? Um, and still have this deep sense of drive. Um, so it's interesting how like we can kind of completely change and yet end up doing quite similar things <laughs> yeah. um, in quite similar ways. But um, also it's like, it's like an inside out kind of things have actually shifted a lot. Um, mm. how, how do you feel listening to that, John? Like I'm sure that your journey in many ways, like there's points of resonance here. Um, yeah, what's the fly thinking? <laughs> yeah, um, I have been buzzing a bit recently, just, you know, hanging out on the wall. Um, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, my, my journey was very similar in the sense of um, my parents, um, uh, my, like, for instance, my mum was the daughter of missionaries, um, uh, actually, both of my parents were missionaries themselves, and they were missionaries over in India. And um, 
they moved around a lot. Mum's Swedish, dad's Aussie. Um, so my sister and I are third culture kids. Um, so um, that sense of, you know, being informed by missionary mindset, if you want to call it that, and also being, you know, a third culture kid, not really feeling grounded anywhere in particular um, is something I think Petter and I very much um, connect on. Um, it's funny, actually, like, I think the first time Petter and I met was at our our friend's uh, Bucks party in Norway. Um, and uh, I got pretty drunk and I lost my phone. And um, <laughs> Petter graciously helped me find it <laughs> as we were walking through. I think it was Drummond in... Um, in, yeah. in Norway, um, not Oslo, thank goodness. Yeah. Oslo is a lot bigger than Drummond. But anyway, like throughout that whole night, I think Petter and I kind of realised, oh, like I think we're cut from the same cloth, um, and uh, had hates to talk about. You know, very lots of parallels. Um, I think the interesting thing for me theologically, though, was. Um, I, you know, this is one of the main things I was thinking as Petter was talking is a lot of people that have deconstructed have found a lot of peace in not having to land anywhere in particular um, and just being open, um, which I fully respect. But for me, I still, like, I needed some sort of anchor. And this is kind of where... I think Petter and I deviated with how we dealt with the whole deconstruction process was that um, I still needed at least something uh, to hold on to at the very least as a symbol, you know, um, for that, for the transcendental, for that which is... Uh, that which is metaphysical, that which is beyond just this kind of empirical existence. And and for me, I ended up returning to Christ, um, largely because of the depiction of Christ that I found, you know, with some of the early Eastern Church fathers and a bunch of other, you know, theologians and authors that I read throughout the years. But, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, this is something I've been thinking about recently. Maybe I'm kind of like going a bit off topic. I am going off a bit, going off topic a bit right now. So you know, if you want, you can yeah, you can it's, it's you can call this during the editing stage. But um, I to put it probably as concise as possible to to return to Petter's analogy rather than seeing. Uh, the water, you know, the everyone, like I 100% believe that every single culture and religion across time can access the water, you know, if they dig far enough. But for me that I ended up believing, and I, you know, obviously there's no way of proving this, you know, you can't prove anything that's metaphysical, but I ended up ultimately deciding that um to believe that that water was Christ, the Logos, um, you know, as, 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 you know, John talks about in, in chapter one of the gospel. And 
Um, uh, I'm not saying this at all as a pushback to what Petter's saying. I'm just saying it more as an observation. <laughs> you know, it's just fascinating, you know, how different personality types mm. uh, still need some sort of anchor um, and others, you know, actually need to not be bound to anything in particular. Um, yeah, anyway, sorry for that tangent. <laughs> Dude, uh, don't apologize. I mean, from my perspective, I, I find that really interesting because um, I probably at times find myself like vacillating between mm. those two where there are times where I, I really do want to come back to that anchoredness and I choose, like I ultimately choose to continue to identify with Christianity as my tradition. Mm. I sometimes talk about it a little bit like the the fact that I like English is my first language and I was born in Australia and those are like identity markers that I can't just change on a whim. Mm. So I might as well kind of work with them the best that I can. There are aspects of being Australian that I'm deeply uncomfortable about and things that I wish I could kind of like shake Mm. as far as what that means, you know, in terms of it's, it's ethical, you know, history. Um, but having said all of that, I'm like so, so down with what Peta has articulated as well in terms of just like sometimes the, the, I don't know, the inner anxiety we feel to have to attach ourselves to something like that can also be something that stops us from just, just seeking love mm. and beauty and not having to like feel we need to kind of label it. So mm. I guess I go I go between the two a bit, but I I just I I find it very interesting to hear, and and I it's not like I'm listening to either of you and going ah, oh, there's a clear right or wrong mm. out of these. I'm I kind of listen and go yeah I can see how mm. different factors can lead can lead you to mm. to kind of you know lean a bit more in one of those directions. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I. But, uh, I, I think that I, I uh, when I say that I don't want to land on anything, um, it, it's exactly as you say, Will, I'm still very much a part of the Christian tradition that I grew up in and that I live in in Norway. And um, and that is meaningful to me. It's, it's valuable to me. I, I partake in, you know, uh, I, I'm within that framework whether I like it or not, basically, uh, somehow. Um, and, and sometimes I like it <laughs> and I want to you be just put out a Christmas it. album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's beautiful. Like, <laughs> oh, holy night, right? We can all get down with that. <laughs> exactly. We're, so, I mean, but, but I guess it's, but, but then I, but then I'm forced in forced. I, I, I end up at a church service one day and I'm like, nope. I'm not yeah. landing here. That's for goddamn sure, you know. Because uh, I, I, it, it's so, um, I, I'm, it's just so far from from anything that I feel, you know, is uh, valuable. However, having said that, two days ago I watched uh, Jesus Revolution, the the film. Oh, um, I haven't watched that yet, but I'm keen to. Okay, so. Uh, 
and I saw it and I was like, wow, I, I, I miss that fellowship. Like I really, really, really miss that kind of fellowship. And I told my wife, it's kind of strange because this is the 70s. And then in 1998, we start this church in, in Oslo, uh, which was much more hippie based than anything else. Like it's all about the fellowship. It's all about sharing. It's all about community. Um, and I was just like, okay, like why did we end up back there? Like just after a, what, like a decade or, or a little bit plus? Uh, so there must be something like in that hippie culture that really, uh, you know, sits deep within me. Uh, and I, I know what it is. It's fellowship. And that's the thing that I've always been talking about in our church. Um, and the thing that has always annoyed me, like when, when I can't have communion with Catholics, I, I'm just so mad. Like, the, how can we not eat this bread and drink this wine together? Why? Where on? Where? Where do you find the reasons for this? Like I'm just mm -hmm. this this uh, everything that goes against fellowship just breaks my heart. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, that's one of the things that I search for, that I long for, that I yearn for, but I don't find it in church. Uh, in in the way that we do church or art church for the last 30 years in my life. <laughs> um, yeah. Church service, that, that the, like 80% of the focus in church is like the church service or what they do. But on the other side, my friends and the fellowship that I have with my friends from that church, that's fellowship. That's true life. That's, that's church. When we sit in a sauna naked, six guys and talk about life, that's life and church and fellowship so yeah that's my church. yeah the naked well, it's interesting church. man because i mean a lot of that stuff and i do think we're we're obviously in a, a moment of cultural um critique of what many of us have experienced but you know like the what most of us associate with church is the sunday service and the sunday service is a particular cultural phenomenon that, that that may or may not overlap with what we would say is you know the heart of the christian church in that broader sense and so i think it's interesting that the sunday service it's like it's just a it's like it's like a brand it's a brand yeah. it's like the marketing of christianity but it's not actually the product necessarily but if you have a bad experience with the brand um, that's what you come to think of as the thing. Um, when in actual fact, like, you know, in, in a sense, I'm like, yeah, I have very little interest in what the Sunday service generally looks like as far as the, the formula. Um, but what you just said, I mean, yeah, invite me into the sauna, bro. Let me, yeah. let me get naked in there. Let me get yeah, naked and vulnerable with, and, you know, have that open, honest place of <laughs> being real. Um, yeah. No, thank but you for the, sharing, like, in, in process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. You know, just, just a thought on that. Um, how, uh, you know, we... 
just like you were talking about how the Sunday service is part of this marketing ploy, basically, by the church. Like, this is what we do. We, we get together and we do X, Y, Z, and that's what it means to worship as Christians. Um, I think it's the same with a lot of theological beliefs. You know, like, there is still... You know, you can still have this universal truth that exists regardless of the belief of the individual. You know, and I guess that's the difference between um, pluralism and inclusivism, right? Sure. Like, yeah, like, you know, I mean, I think Lewis said this quite well where he said, God is a great iconoclast. Um, he shatters every idol that I make in my mind concerning about, like concerning who he is, right? So um, I really dig that. I dig the idea that it's okay to be wrong about who or what God is, and it's okay to be wrong about how to practice these things. But I also like the idea that, um, you know, this sort of perfect, unconditional unfathomable love as displayed at least in you know the christian story of like you know the all-powerful absolute being itself uh allowing itself to be killed on a cross and then forgiving its creation in that process um despite what we believe about that (laughs) Like, the idea of holding those two things in tension, one thing is, you know, we can have faith, and this is not certainty, but faith or hope that that is true. But then at the same time, we can be at ease with not um, having to to put that sort of pressure on ourselves as to, like, uh, feeling the need to to have beliefs that are objectively true as if that was even possible for, you know, finite humans. Mm. Exactly. And that's the whole thing I mean when I say that I don't want to land. It's a, I, I, uh, yeah, uh, you articulate it a bit better than I do because, uh, yeah, it's like you say on the one side, like I, I, I want to believe and and but whether I believe it or not, it, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter now, does it? That's my point. As to what, what I was grown up with was that if you don't believe in the absolute correct way within this tiny tiny framework, then you're fucked. Like it's yeah. uh, you're you're done, man. So so how can yeah? Um, it's yeah. It, it makes me think the. The God I believe in now on the days when I have the most faith is the kind of God that I'm still safe with on the days when I have no faith. Mm. And so it's kind of like, in a sense, Mm. it's like I can flip between faith and doubt, but but the kind of faith Mm. that I have actually allows me to do that because I like what what I choose to trust Mm. in is that the whole story is one of um, love, belonging, goodness, reconciliation, healing, wholeness. Um, and if it's not that story, then then I would I would just be a 
just a nihilist. I would just be not really mm. interested in in uh, a, a f- I'm no longer interested in a faith that does divide up the world into mm. those who are in and those who are out. And um, I think that kind of actually does make sense. Yeah. In in some ways, I think there's an overlap in in what we're all saying there. Um, kind yeah. of trusting that whatever the truth is, that that not saying there isn't a truth, and I think that that distinction between a, a a pluralism that says all of these things are equally true in all of their difference and an inclusivism that says these things can all fit within the same larger body of truth without all necessarily being mm. the same mm. or equal. Um, yeah, I think the larger yeah. body of truth to me is that it is that um, a, a creator loving, loving their creation enough to suffer with it and for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's what Raw was trying to do with with the Universal Christ really. You know, this yeah. isn't just mm. like, you know, a, yeah. a Jewish peasant that existed 2000 years ago. Like this is the embodiment of uh, a universal spirit that has always been at work, um working to reconcile and working to to love not just you know certain groups or tribes of humanity, but all of humanity, um, all of creation. Um, mm. It's just a much, m- yeah, much more compelling, beautiful um, truth than you know a lot of the stories that I think all three of us were told, you know, growing up in fundamentalism. Mm. Mm. I should say my um, my little Sunday service critique um, before. <laughs> It probably came across so cynical. And whilst there is so so many forms of Sunday service that I'm not into, uh, for anyone out there who goes to a Sunday service that is life-giving for you and where you experience rich fellowship um, and connect with the tradition, I'm all for that. Um, but it's not, automatic. it's not automatic. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, and I totally agree. Like, uh, my wife is not here, but <laughs> she would be okay with me saying that she she misses that kind of fellowship on like the sunday service fellowship um mm. uh, and i don't <laughs> and that's that's fine you know it's it's yeah. really fine and and people are different and you know uh yeah so i i remember um mike mccarg as we talked about a little bit earlier he was always so uh yeah broad and he like yeah um if you find God in, in that kind of fellowship, well, that's awesome. I mean, that's, mm. that's awesome. <laughs> but then obviously there's the, the, the sort of, uh, yeah, all, all this kind of um, weird theologies that comes out of, of sermons in this uh, <laughs> Sunday services and, and this kind of, that is problematic as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, yeah, I have yeah. a question for you, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, how much did you end up spiritualizing the uh, mental health issues and physical health issues that you started to face? So as a, a Pentecostal, who I'm assuming believed that, you know, we are in the midst of spiritual warfare all the time and, you know, even a migraine or a headache can be attack 
uh, from 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 the devil. Once you started uh, getting, you know, the anxiety, getting the ringing in your ears, um, how did you, like, did you first have to get over the hurdle of thinking, oh my goodness, this is either, you know, Satan attacking me or it's uh, it's something I've I've sinned in some area of my life and therefore I'm being judged with this. Or did you kind of relatively smoothly uh, move towards, you know, more kind of scientific explanation to what was going on? Yeah, that's a good, great question. As I know, probably many of the listeners on this podcast would uh, might have uh, uh, had issues with uh, with these kind of things. Uh, but luckily for me, uh, this church that I was a part a part of starting in ninety eight ninety nine, uh, it was not within the Pentecostal uh, realm. It was like a ecumenic. Uh, thing we came from Pentecostal backgrounds or rather from completely other backgrounds and so the years uh, in that church and with the fellowship we had there sort of brought that uh, spiritual level down to a more uh, uh, safe and uh, sound uh, level um, but but of course I think I had some of it uh, like you know oh this is uh, I'm probably a little bit in the beginning, but but nothing that I I can remember was a big deal for me uh, that I had to sort of battle through. Uh, it was more like just it was the unknown. Like it, I I didn't think of any like this is because of some spiritual things, uh, and I didn't think of it as anxiety or because I didn't know what anxiety was, and nobody told me. Like it, it, not even my doctor when I was explaining, like the most common anxiety. Um, uh, what is it called? Um, symptoms of anxiety. Yeah, my doctor didn't say, "Oh, uh, you." Pr- this sounds like anxiety. You probably need to go see a a shrink. <laughs> uh, no, nothing. And it was just you know some years almost I think passed before a friend of mine was like, "Dude, this sounds like anxiety." I was like, "What? Okay, yeah, maybe you know." So, yeah, so no, no fortunately not, uh, I didn't have to battle that uh, brutal monster of, uh, uh, that you are describing there, because that, that, that's a hard, uh, that's hard, but I can remember it from, from my past, for sure. <clears throat> like I would get sick a lot <clears throat> before extol shows back in the days. Like I was always the one that got sick and I'm the vocalist. So, you know, being sick is just uh, always a bad thing. Uh, and uh, I, I would think that oh, this is uh, this is uh, attack because now we're going out to to save the world and bring light into this darkness. And of course, I get sick because uh, Satan doesn't want me to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been there for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, there's so much more that that we could explore around all of that, but um, <laughs> I I'm so grateful for what you've shared with us and. Um, yeah, just uh, I've I've loved hearing um, both your like your your story and your history, but also just where you are today. Thank you for sharing, like you know, in the honesty of the kind of just the not landing, um, and yet um, yeah, kind of creating creating from a different place. And um, look forward to hearing like the the music that 
continues to come out of, of this season um, of where you're at. Um, love to give you the last word, man, you know, as you think about people that have listened to this conversation um, on all different paths, what would be the kind of just the maybe words of, um, I don't know, reminders or encouragements that have helped you just navigate the, the day by day existing <laughs> that might be helpful words for others. <laughs> yeah. I still don't feel that I, I'm, I manage day by day really well. So uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I've had some rough years and the last year, like it, it's been up and down and uh, I've had some really good years after working through this. And then someday the last year has been really shitty again with a lot of anxiety uh, coming up and yeah, mm. physical issues. Um, but I mean, I, I guess what's, what's really helpful for, for me is to, to just, you know, see the small things in life with my family and my kids, and uh, and just there to to be open and honest about uh, about life to yourself first and foremost, and then to others. Uh, the journey is uh, like <laughs> it's a cliche, but uh, yeah, the journey is sort of like the purpose of this life. Um, I'm I'm really bad at that. I, I always see ahead and want to be you know, at the finish line. Um, but, but yeah, the journey is the meaningful thing. And then you have some rewards here and there and yeah, just share that journey with, with the people around you. At least that's helpful for me. Thanks, man. I really, I really value your honesty and I'm sure there are lots of people that have their own versions of, you know, I, I don't know if I, manage that well day to day. So even hearing that can be actually very, um, people can feel seen in that. So yeah, appreciate it, man. Spiritual Misfits podcast is brought to you by Meeting Ground, a church for the misfits. We know we are only one small and humble faith community, but we're making this work in the hope that we can encourage and empower other people in similar spaces. If you haven't already done so, Jump on our website, spiritualmisfits.com.au and join our mailing list to receive the Sunday message. No spam, no sales, just weekly encouragement around faith from the fringes. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it and consider giving us a rating and review on your podcast platform or social media of choice. We'll catch you next time. Until then, take care and be kind.